Are you a quitter or a finisher? When it's bigger than yourself, what's it going to take? It takes determination, perseverance, digging in deep, day in and day out. It takes a tribe. It takes hope and work in the plan. Because anyone can start, but few finish well. Do you have what it takes? Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Hey, uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Mountain. And uh, can we just say hello and welcome everyone in from all of our campuses as we do at Edgewood and Bel Air and Abingdon, Mountain Road Online. We get to do this together. Pretty glad we get to do it together. That's pretty cool. So, um, you know, the, the, the leaders of this church have generously given me an opportunity to get away every summer for a time of refreshment and renewal. And as is our custom, we made a beeline to the lake cabin, the family cabin in northern Minnesota, and we just got back uh, earlier in the week, and it's, it was just a tremendous time away. The idea is that we have some time to rest, to unplug, and unwind, get away from you uh, for a little while, and then, uh, but we also play a good bit. We spend a lot of time on the water. I, I find that uh, recreation is kind of recreating for me, so we do a lot of that, and then uh, a time to reconnect with family. My parents were able to be there and my siblings for some part of the time. A couple of my kids made it up there and, and then there's cousins and uncles and aunts and nieces and nephews and, and this kind of family gathering we had a couple of different times, which was great. And then it's a, it's a study break as well, a chance to kind of read more, think more, kind of uh, try to embrace a little bit about what God is saying about what the next moves at Mountain. And so I come back ready and refreshed. In the middle of this whole deal, our oldest son, uh, Nathan, uh, got married down in Tennessee to beautiful, wonderful Abigail, and that all went fantastic, and it was just a really great time. Yeah, we're really happy about it. Uh, just uh, the whole thing, we're just coming back with this whole sense of um, how blessed we are to be able to have that opportunity, but also just to, to uh, the wedding was great, but also to come back to you all and just the amazing staff at Mountain, amazing volunteers and all the people at Mountain that make this intense ministry thing happen without missing a beat all summer long. It's just as we're so blessed, we know it and we, we love you guys and are super jacked up about what's coming next here at Mountain. And I think the fall is going to be really, really great and I, and I hope you're excited. We've got some great stuff planned. I can't wait to jump in. So, and in fact, on the last day uh, at the cabin, so Carla flew back with Ellie, had to get back and go to college and stuff like that. So I drove back, which meant I was there by myself and on the last day, I have to put the boat away, which is always depressing, put the boat away. But I just went out on the lake and I just stood up in that boat and I just dove in the lake, just headlong, just all, just all in. Are you ready uh, to dive into a new series with me? Okay, here we go. All right, here we go. Uh, a lot of you know my friend Rob Seifert. Uh, Rob's a, a great mountain guy, a really good friend of mine, and uh, Rob is one of these guys, he's a 
fitness guys. Uh, he lifts weights. He's got muscles in places that I don't even have places. Like, so, and he's always been a good athlete like that. When, when he was in uh, high school, he, um, he was a track guy. He ran the 100 to the 200. He was like second and third in the state, like really good at the 100 and 200 yard dash. Well, he did something wrong. He made the coach mad at him or whatever. And the coach says, you can't run in the next race. But as a punishment, he said, now, if you want to run, you can run the 400. And Rob's like, cocky, young, dumb. He's like, no problem. I can run the 100, 200. I can run the 400. No problem. I'm gonna run. So he signs up for that. He forgets that the 400 is like all the way around the track, right? So you know where this is going. So he lines up there on the, at the 400. All the 400 runners looking at him like, who's this guy, you know? And Rob's thinking, I got this. And so the gun fires, and he takes off like a rocket, and he just sprints as fast as he can. He goes 100 yards. He's like way out in front of everybody. He's like, I got this. 200 yards, he's way out in front of everybody, like way out in front. And then, as Rob tells the story on himself, like at about 250 yards, something really bad started to happen in his body, you know, like his legs just start feeling like he's got like an extra pound every step. And his lungs are on fire and he cannot get air and he starts slowing way down and pretty soon he's just miserable and wants to die and people start passing him and as he comes around that final stretch he's just dragging his sorry butt across that line and finishes in last place because Rob learned that day what you know for wise we all learn not just in sports or something like that but in life it's it's not how you start the race that really, really matters. It's how you finish, isn't it? In so many things in life, this is true. It's how you finish. It's not hard to begin, right? It's not hard to begin. But now, to finish strong. Now, that, that's going to take some resilience. That's going to take some stick to some persistence, some planning, and some, something within that you're going to have to reach for. Because it's not hard to begin. Am I right? No matter whether we're talking about an eating plan that you're trying to keep, or finishing that home improvement project, huh? or whether you're building a marriage, or raising kids, or nurturing a relationship with someone, it's not hard to begin any of those things. Pursuing your big dream or vacuuming out the van. doesn't matter what you're talking about. It's not hard to start. But the question is, how do you respond when things get tough? Like when it really feels hard, into the wind, uphill. Like then what? And what do you got down inside? Now let's apply it even to the spiritual life. The Christian race. Have you ever felt like quitting? Now I know when we gather at Mountain, there's some people, you're not signed on with Jesus yet. You're still investigating the faith. You're, I'm so glad you're here. That's what this church is for. But I know I'm talking to a lot of people who are like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be one of those Christian people. So I ask you honestly, in the Christian race, have you ever felt like quitting? If you're honest, maybe you, you could just say, you know, yeah, of course we have. Because it's hard. Jesus actually said it was going to be hard. One time he said, you know, in this world you're going to have trouble. Paul said, don't expect to enter the kingdom without some hardship. Peter said, hey, when you experience all kinds of painful uh, experiences and suffering in life, don't think it's some unusual thing. It's part of the territory. You know, we know this from Scripture. We also know it from our own life, don't we? If you are a Jesus follower, you know there's no easy button. Sometimes it's hard. You've got friends that think you're weird. That doesn't always feel good. 
Or you, 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 you've prayed prayers that weren't answered. Or, you know, just somehow you've tried to get free from some sinful habit. You thought when you're a Christian it would be easier, and it's not. So the question is, how can we learn better over the next few weeks to lean on God, to draw on a reservoir of strength and hope to keep going and not just start but finish the race? That's where we're going. And to do so, what we'll do is we'll kind of like lean in and listen in on a kind of eavesdropping way on a divinely inspired conversation between an old guy named Paul and a young guy named Timothy. And it's actually recorded for us and preserved in Holy Scripture in the Bible. In a book of the Bible we call 2 Timothy today. Timothy's this young guy. He, um, he lived a long time ago, but he finds himself uh, like way over his head. Overwhelmed, scared, outclassed, frustrated, discouraged, and I'll bet he felt like quitting. Which is relevant because some of us are exactly there right now. So there's some words for you coming at you soon. About 15 years earlier, before this, he had met this guy named Paul. So Timothy was very young, maybe just a teenager at the time. Paul saw something in Timothy, said, man, this kid's got a lot on the ball. Starts investing in him, kind of becomes a spiritual father and mentor to him. And they went all over the place on these kind of spiritual like road trips where they were trying to help other people. Because Paul, Paul had been so changed by Jesus, he just wanted everyone all over the world to sort of get in on this. So he literally is going to strategic places like Ephesus and Rome to try to start these little Jesus groups called churches so that they could experience the same thing he did. And so he takes Timothy with him on some of those journeys, and they became these really fast friends on those journeys. One of the places he went was Ephesus, and he's there, and he spends three years there, kind of working with them, teaching them, helping them get started in the faith. And it says he worked night and day, the Bible says. And he kind of got them established, and he says, okay, I'm out. And he leaves, and he's hoping that things will just carry on without him. And they do for a while, but pretty soon they start running into troubles. And that little church has problems. They start, they start like getting like all, some, some people start getting kind of materialistic, and they forget that there's more important things than money. And there's some other false teachers that come in, and start saying things that weren't what Jesus taught at all, and it's kind of confusing the people in the church. And so Paul's like, wow, I, 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 I worked too hard on this. I've got to go back. And so he takes Timothy with him to go back and try to fix it, but he runs out of time. He has to leave, and so he's like, they're still a mess. This is an urgent situation, but I got to go. Timothy, you're in charge. And Timothy's like, what? Hands him a baton, says, you've got to run the race. I'm out. And Timothy is young, he's inexperienced, he's kind of sickly, given to not feeling well, and he's timid, he's shy, he's withdrawn. And so Paul, from a distance, is trying to help him hang in there and save that church. He writes 1 Timothy to kind of rebuke some of the problems, and he writes 2 Timothy to try to encourage Timothy. Now there's something else you need to know about this book. Paul is writing from prison, where he is facing certain execution. Nero is the emperor, and he's killing Christians right and left. Can't stand him. He's trying to kill them all. Paul's been in jail many times. No big deal. He got out, kind of had a story to tell. This time, he knows it's different. So he grabs his pen in the shadow of the scaffold. The gallows is looming over his head. It could be any day. He's desperate. In his mind, Timothy is his last hope for the Christian movement on the planet. To, an, to, to a human, humanly speaking, the movement of Jesus was about to be annihilated. And so with this urgent sense, Paul is writing from a prison cell where he is in this dark, dank place. He's got a hold of some parchment. He writes it out, and he's saying to Timothy, you can't quit. 
There's too much at stake. Hang in there, Timothy. Run your race. Can I let you in on the end of the story? Because we know now from the perspective of history, like a historian by the name of Eusebius tells us, that Timothy faithfully rose up in the midst of that obstacles and circumstances he had, and he faithfully led that church to become a strong, flourishing church for the next 30 years. The letter of 2 Timothy had done its work. Whatever it was that Paul downloaded into Timothy stuck in his spirit and gave him some essential ingredient he needed to hang in there, to endure. And I've been praying all summer that it would do exactly the same thing for you. That when I came back, we'd dive into this and it would have that same impact for you because you're probably in a similar situation to where Timothy was maybe. Overwhelmed, discouraged perhaps, in over your head, who knows. All of us need help with finish line faith. And it turns out that if you could boil down the whole essence of this letter into one word, I I think what Paul was trying to get Timothy to seize was grit. Grit. That combination of passion and perseverance. That, That sort of intangible ingredient. And guess what? It's available to everyone. It's not whether you have it or not. You know what? All the research today is even saying you can learn grit. It's available to everyone. And grit, when you get it, will take you farther than your talent ever will. It'll take you further than your privilege or good luck ever will. And it will also take you through quitting points that otherwise would stop you in your tracks. That's the power of grit. But you'll never get there if you're not willing to grow and change and be open to grit. Take the whole message of 2 Timothy that Paul gave to Timothy and God wants to give to you right now. It boils down to this. You ready? Here it is. Do not quit. Find your grit. Say it with me, will you? Do not quit. Find your grit. There it is. And some of us need to hear that message today as you're thinking about stuff in your life. Some of you trying to save money and you can't seem to succeed. Some of you trying to get healthy, you can't do it. Some of you trying to learn a language or finish school or keep a job, you can't do it sometimes because you need to find your grit trying to build a home or refinish the picnic table for crying out loud. I can't even get that done. What is it? You know, <laughs> the Bible talks about this concept and guess what? In addition to all those practical outcomes in life, it's following Jesus and making your life count on this planet happens with people who have grit. We're going to talk about several key ingredients to grit and we're going to begin today with this one that I think is a good place to start. One of the keys to grit is the vital importance of having good and godly friends in your life. Good and godly friends who are in your circle, in your web of relationships, is a key ingredient in the people who have grit in life. Let me show you what I'm talking about, kind of dive in here to 2 Timothy a little bit. By the way, read 2 Timothy in one sitting. Okay, it's a letter. It's not like some text you're going to analyze. It's not a bunch of fortune cookies, you know, stapled together. This is like a letter. So read it in one sitting. Paul would have, Timothy, when he got the letter, would have torn it open to see, is Paul still alive? And he he wouldn't have like read chapter 1 and put it away for the day. It's a letter. Read it. Okay? 
And as you do, remember this. The context of this letter is the deep personal relationship between Paul and Timothy. This is not generic, general advice to the public at large. This is not principles. or you know, This is like an old man pouring out his heart to someone he loves. Here's, here's how you can tell. Take a look at how it begins. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. This letter, to Timothy. And he calls him, my dear son. I love that. This is like, you know what, he's like, he's my dear son. He doesn't call anyone else his dear son. But he does Timothy. It shows you their relationship. I, I told you my son got married, Nathan. I found myself on his wedding day sitting down to write him a letter I wanted to give to him. It was a very emotional experience for me. So I'm trying to think of what to say. I'm thinking of getting married in a few hours. And whole, my whole life flashes before my eyes. And then his whole life flashes before my eyes. Remember the day he was born holding him with his big fat head and <laughs> sending him off to kindergarten and the tussled hair and that little backpack. And then the day he broke his hand, the day he, you know, the day he won that trophy, you know, the day he got his glasses, the day that he got his heart broken in high school, those long talks we had at night in his room. And then the day I dropped him off at college and bawled my eyes out down Interstate 81. And now he's getting married and now... I'm the old man trying to say something to him. It's like, what? How'd this happen? So I just did my best to pour out my heart and tell him I loved him and you've got what it takes and find your grit. And I don't know, I was just reaching for whatever could come out. And I gave that letter to him to take on his honeymoon. He thought there'd be money in it. (laughs) That's the feel of 2 Timothy, okay? Paul loves this kid. He's sitting down to pour out his heart to him because his own life is flashing before his eyes. He's on death row, and he's saying to Timothy, now it's your turn. I've got to hand the baton to you. I can't, I, it's, it's on you now. You've got to remember some stuff. So this letter comes to you from God. From, think of it as someone who loves Jesus and loves you. That's, that's the tone of this. And don't miss this. That the very first thing Paul wants to use to instill grit in Timothy is his own relationship with Timothy. Because I'm for you, because I love you, because you're my son, because I'm there, it adds a kind of level of strength and accountability. Even though he's locked away in a dungeon and Timothy's over there on his own, something about that letter kind of reminds him of that relationship. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? It matters when you know people are for you. If you're lucky enough to have a parent or grandparent or uncle or aunt, or someone in your family in your life who's for you, who loves God and loves you, you're blessed. But sometimes we've got to go after friends. Good and godly friends are a key to finishing well in life. Now, all through this letter, you see all these examples of how much these two mean to each other. The relationship matters. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, just two verses later. Paul says to him, recalling your tears, Timothy, I long to see you. I remember the last time I saw you, you were bawling. I long to see you now, though, so that I may be filled with joy. He's sitting there. Can you see? He's just like, man, it'd be great just be together again. You know? Apparently, when they said goodbye, it was a tear-filled parting. I'm not embarrassed to tell you that every time I go home, I see my parents. They're 89 and 91. So when we say goodbye, I don't know when I'll see them again. And every time I, every time I do, I, I hug them and we, we cry. It's a tear-filled parting. And, but I got I to go. 
I got stuff I got to do. I got to come here. I got work to do. So I, we hug, we cry, I get in the car. And this is Paul and Timothy. That's like the mission calls, we got to go. But that tells you something about relationships that we need in our life that bring joy and strength. And when you're apart, it kind of hurts. And, and if you could be together, it brings joy and strength. At the end of the letter, Paul says in chapter 4, he gives this beautiful passage we'll talk about another week. But he says, you know what? The time for my departure has come. My time on earth is over. I'm toast. You know what? But he says, I'm ready. I have run the race. I have finished it. I have, I, I have a crown waiting for me. And he talks about heaven. And he's this big, the, the great apostle is waxing eloquent. Huge theological theme. And I'm ready for heaven. And then you know what he says in the very next sentence? In, in verse 9, he says, but Timothy, right now I just need someone to come be with me. You, you know you got your theology straight. That's great. You're going to have heaven and Jesus is with you. But sometimes you just need someone who's real with skin on with you in the moment. You know what I'm saying? Even the great apostle felt that way. You see the power of relationship. And so now we've not just heard Paul trying to pour into Timothy to help him find his grit. We see a discouraged, afraid, older disciple in a prison cell also finding his grit by saying, Timothy, verse 9, can you come see me? I need someone with me. Would you try to visit? Sometimes when you feel alone, it's especially important. When you're about to lose your grit, you need someone. Because he says in verse 10, I don't have Demas anymore. That guy Demas, he, he, he deserted me. And Crescens, he went over to Galatia. And Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Everybody's left me. Could you come and see me? I need a friend right now. And Mark, bring him with me too. Bring him with you, will you? Verse 13, and then he starts remembering things. I think it's just kind of so interesting. He's just like, oh, and when you come, he's imagining the, the reunion. He's like, oh, and when you come, could you bring my coat? I left it with Carpus at Troas. And my scrolls, you know the ones. My, my special parchments, could you bring all that stuff? But mostly, Timothy, I just want to see you. <laughs> Paul knows his strength is wavering and he needs help, so he's, I'm sure he prayed to God. But you know, God help me, God be with me, but sometimes you need a friend. Even the great apostle said that. Earlier he had said some words to some friends at Galatia, Galatians 6.2 in your Bible. He had reminded them, carry each other's burdens. You're not supposed to just carry all the burdens through life alone. We need to carry each other. That's how you, you want to be a Jesus-like person, he says. You want to look like Jesus, fulfill the law of Christ, carry each other's burdens. Well, now he's trying to do that for Timothy. And he's asking Timothy to do it for him. I wonder, who, who's doing that for you? Who in your life has a relationship with you and you have a relationship with them that looks something like Paul and Timothy where you could carry each other's burdens when you just need a friend? Good friends and godly friends as we say around here a lot we're looking for people the criteria that we need in our life if we're going to have grit and if we're going to also just grow and develop in lots of ways is you need friends that you need someone who really knows you and knows god if they just know god but they don't know you they're probably not a great friend if they just you know know God and don't know you, if they just know you and don't know God, it's not the right, it, 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 it's okay, but you need one that knows God and knows you, and someone who loves you and loves Jesus. Okay, if they just love Jesus and they don't love you, that's not a great friend. If they just love you but they don't love Jesus, that's not the, we're talking about you need a friend that knows God, knows you, loves Jesus, loves you. 
That's a good and godly friend. And these are the kind of things that can end up shaping our lives because relationships matter. Now, I know some of us struggle to connect. We struggle with relationships. Maybe it was past pain or some kind of personality uh, disposition that makes it hard to kind of reach out and connect with people. I get it. But when we isolate, and that's a great temptation in our society today, when we isolate, we're cutting ourselves off, not just from people, but from growth. Because God uses people to shape people. Let me say that again. God uses people to shape people. So when we isolate, we're cutting ourselves off from the people who can see things in you and encourage you and draw things out from you. And and, and I'm so grateful for those people in my life who forgive me and laugh with me and cry with me and get in my face when I want to quit and say, you can't quit right now. You're right in the middle of an uphill trudge. You get to the top of that hill, you can quit. But you can't quit right now. You need a friend like that. God uses people to shape people. And you know, relationships are important. You know, uh, even the, the data, secular data is just saying, you know what, relationships is the leading indicator of happiness. It's not your money, your health, security, status, or the, the fact that you're, the team that you cheer for is doing well. So good news for all of you. <laughs> it's about the presence of rich, deep, good relationships. Without those relationships... Data alone shows us that we're more likely to fall into temptation, struggle with anxiety or depression, loneliness, substance abuse, sleeping disorders, self-esteem. Relationships are so powerful. In fact, you know what? The the data is saying that, that it's more powerful than even healthy life and diet and exercise choices. That's like a heretical thing to say in our culture, but it's true. Sociologist Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone, and he, he showed that if you belong to no groups at all, but you decide to join just one group you, where you're now connected with relationships, you cut immediately your risk of dying over the next year in half. Isn't that fascinating? That's really powerful. So people with bad health habits but really strong relational ties statistically live significantly longer than those with good health habits but weak friendships. Isn't that cool? So better Krispy Kreme with friends than Oat Brand alone. That's what we're saying. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Huh? All the people are like, ah, I can get grit for that. Give me some donut. Winston Churchill, a great leader, but horrible health habits. He, he smoked like a chimney, drank like a fish, and didn't sleep well, but he had great relationships. He had deep friendship. His marriage was good. He had lots of strong family ties. People asked, somebody asked him one time, Mr. Churchill, do you ever exercise? He replied, only when I carry as a pallbearer one of my friends who just died while exercising. (laughs) I'm not advocating any of that. I'm just saying God uses people to shape people, and it's so important and healthy in our lives, to have health in our lives. That's why I think the old um, proverb is is true, the old African proverb. If you want to go fast, go by yourself. But if you want to go far, you want to finish well, you got to go together. 276 people stepped forward for baptism at this church not long ago. There's a message for you. You, wanna, you, you know, you've, you've been at it long enough now. You know you've hit some roadblocks. And you know you've got to find some grit. You want to go fast, great. Go by yourself. You want to go far in this life of faith. You want to get to the finish line, you've got to go with some others. You don't believe me? It's all over the Bible. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, how important friends are. Here's what it says. It works in the negative. They don't just shape you positively. Friends can shape you negatively. 
Bad company corrupts good character. You can start with good character, but you hang around bad people, guess what? You lose your good character sometimes. You think, well, I need to be around these people to influence them. Yes, you do. You need to be on mission, but be careful because it rubs the other way sometimes. So just be wise and be smart about that. Proverbs 13, 20. We got some kids heading off to college. My daughter left for college her junior year. She's gone. She's down there. Got her dorm room set up. Some of you heading off to school. Some of you heading off to middle school. Some of you heading off to work. I hope every one of you hears the truth of Proverbs 13, 20. You walk with the wise, you become wise because your friends shape you. You walk with fools, you get in trouble. That's how that works. Simple. How many people that dropped out of college could have used that verse? They didn't? Yeah. Enough said on that. I remember the day where, we're, where you know, kids are in school, and the letter comes home from the principal, someone's got lice. We're not going to say who it is, but somebody's got lice. Like, oh, great, there's an infestation. Now we're, in, you know, combing through and all that stuff, right? Well, how does that work? You get these little creepy little crawly things, and you just hang out. You just think you're hanging out, and then you don't know it. You don't see it, but invisibly, these little creepy crawly things, like, jump from one kid to the next. And they come home, and it's like, now you got it. How'd that happen? I don't know. I just went to school and hung out with Fred. Now I got lice. And there are people that got lice in life. They got like bad attitude. They just got, they're, they're just like, they're empty. They're vacuous or they're negative or they're, they have bad judgment or bad morals or no foundation. And it's like, yes, we need to be around those people. Those are the people we're trying to love, you know, but you just hang around them and there's little stuff jumping from them to you. And you come home. How'd I get all that? I don't know. I hung out with Fred. Bad company corrects, corrupts good manners. How about this one? Proverbs 27. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Someone who says, you know what, I love you and I need to tell you something right now. That's better, that's better than someone who's like, well, I'm not going to say anything because they don't love you enough to do so. Wounds from a sincere friend, that you can trust. Someone who just like kisses you all the time and tells you, oh, everything's great. They never tell you the truth. They enable you. They let you keep hurting yourself. That's not a friend. Proverbs 12, 26. The godly choose their friends carefully. They know the wicked can lead them astray. You see how important friends are? God uses people to shape people. Now, one of the things we have confusion about and not always clear on is, does grit mean that I'm supposed to like always, always, always keep going and never, 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 never quit? No, it does not mean that. There's a difference between grit and stubbornness or stupidity. And we don't always know the difference. It's not always easy to know. For that, you need discernment. You need judgment. I see sometimes somebody's like, oh, I've got this dream. I'm going to pursue it. And they're killing their marriage. They're losing all their money. Their kids are estranged. But boy, golly, they think it's grit. And then everyone else knows it's just stupid. That's not grit. There's a difference. It's not a sort of at-all-cost pursuit of something blind. No, no, no. You've got to know the difference. And for that, you need discernment and judgment. Here's the point I'm making. How do you get that discernment and judgment? Turns out in God's wisdom, he allows us to outsource that. You don't have to possess all of the discernment and judgment. You go to what? Good and godly friends to get the discernment to know what should I do right now. What we often do is go to stupid, ungodly friends and get really bad advice and do that. And then we wonder where we are and why we got there. Good and godly friends. You see... It's so important. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. What we need is a bunch of friends who will come around us and encourage us. Encourage means to put courage in you so you can have grit. Friends do that. 
The right kind of friends make us stronger and make us better. Hebrews 10 says we're going to hold unswervingly. That's what we're talking about, resilience. Hold unswervingly to the faith and the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And then it says let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. That means, you know, give someone a kick in the shorts once in a while. Let us not give up meeting together. In other words, you can't stay encouraged if you say, I'm just going to go do it by myself now. No, keep coming together, gather for worship, gather in groups, because that's how you can encourage one another. Who are you encouraging? Life is hard. The news is ugly. Things are divisive. It's an awful day in some ways to be alive, and yet we can encourage each other because the day is approaching. Up at the lake, uh, my brother has this cool boat, and we, we go water skiing a lot behind it, and we take a lot of other people, teach them how to water ski. How many of you ever been water skiing, pulled up behind the boat? Yeah, a bunch of us, okay. Hey, uh, do you remember the first time you tried to get up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of brutal, isn't it? So, I mean, water skiing's not that hard. What's hard? Getting up. Why? Because you're out there in the water like this guy, up to your neck. Deep water start, very hard. And you got all that water. And then the boat starts going. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, all of a sudden, now your arms are pulling out of their sockets. You're trying to hold on to this little tiny thing. And all that water is just pushing against your face and your body. Pretty soon, you start feeling like this guy. And you're just trying to get up. And you got all this, it's just like gallons and gallons of water up your nose, in your ears, in your eyeballs, down your throat. And you're supposed to hold on. And all that pressure is just building and mounting and mounting and mounting. What happens? Almost everybody, the first time, is like, there goes the rope. They let go. They're like, I hate skiing. I'm not doing this. What do we do? We ridicule, we make fun of them? No, we become a friend. We get down in the water, we, we do whatever we need to do. We tell them, you talk them through it. Hold on to the rope. Hold on to the rope. Do not let go. Hold on to the rope. But, but, then, but then, like, crunch up in a ball. Put your tips up. You tell them, like, 75 things to remember. And after, like, the 10th time of drinking a gallon at a, at a time, then eventually, you know what happens? They start to plow through a little bit more, like this guy. Like, you're a little bit up higher, you know? And it's like, yeah, you're making it. And pretty soon, you pop up, and now you're planing. And before long, they look like this kid. They're, like, waving at people on the shore. I'm a skier. I love skiing. And, and so the next time they try to get up, there's still all that water. There's still all that, but they know how to do it, and they know there's an end coming, and before long, they're up and they're skiing. That's what one great experience does for you. It helps you know you can get through. Some of you are like that guy with the water in your face right now because of something in your life that feels like that, and you don't know if you can hold on. You're wondering if it's worth it. It might be a marriage, it might be your faith, I don't know. It might be a friend, it might be a dream that you know God's put in your heart. But the rope's about to pop out. You got it all over your face. God's word from Paul to Timothy and now directly to your heart is this. Do not quit. Find your grit because if you do, you'll be planning waving at people, helping other people, say, oh, skiing's fun, let me help you. And then you'll be one of those good and godly friends in someone else's life as well. And in the meantime, you're going to need some coaching and some help, and that's why it's so important for us to connect with each other because God uses people to shape people. When Vincent met Tim 28 years ago, Tim seemed to have his life together. He was uh, living in a big house and Married, a couple of kids, and he'd been sober for six months. Seemed like he was on a really good track. And Vincent also was on a new road to recovery as well. So they became really close friends, and they stayed together for a long time, stayed in touch, and they kind of drifted apart a little bit. 
Vincent was also just becoming sober, but he had still hidden a few addictions and things in his life away, but finally, he kind of just came clean with Jesus and stopped trying to fill that hole inside of him with something other than Jesus, and he let Jesus in, and it became a real change and a lasting change for Vincent. A lot of you know Vincent. You'll see him around here at Mountain. He's a great guy. Totally changed his life. Tim noted those changes in Vincent's life. Tim's life, meanwhile, was not altogether as it appeared. While he was sober from alcohol, he had that hole inside of him, and he tried to fill it, and he went after all kinds of stuff, including heroin, for over a year. It kind of messed him up real bad. They ran into each other at Redner's a couple years ago, a grocery store down the way. They talk. Just coincidence. Tim can see the real change in Vincent. Vincent goes home and texts Tim. Here's the text. Invites him to celebrate recovery at Mountain that night. A lot of awesome people get together and they just do real life together and get out of life's habits and hang-ups together. Tim said, oh, I can't come, I'm not feeling well, which was really sort of true, but mostly a lie, because what he didn't say is that his life was at a very, very low point. He was very depressed, on the verge of suicide. In fact, that very day, the next day, he overdosed on heroin laced with fentanyl. When they found him, he's in a fight for his life, and he ends up on the fifth floor of Hartford Memorial at rock bottom. What does he need? He needs a lot of things, but one of the things he needs most is a friend. He calls Vincent. Vincent says, how about sober recovery now? He says, I'd love to. And he comes and he immediately connects with people. And he began a journey toward recovery that is still continuing to this very day. And pretty soon after that, Vincent said to Tim, hey, why don't you join me at Mountain for a, a church service on a weekend? Tim's like, oh, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. Tim's like, I hate church. You have no idea who I am. This is not a good idea. You don't know what you're talking about. That's a bad idea. Besides that, he says, I don't have any church clothes. Vincent says, you don't know mountain. What are you wearing? He says, like a cut-off T-shirt and shorts. He goes, I'll pick you up at 915. That'll do fine. Okay, but don't put me next to any Jesus freaks. <laughs> Tim had been to church as a kid, but that weekend he began a relationship with Jesus like the real Tim and the real Jesus, not the churchy kind. Not the churchy Tim, not the churchy Jesus, the real Jesus and the real Tim. He got into a small group of good and godly friends. They weren't perfect and they were strugglers, but on that journey together, they've been helping each other on the journey. And on September 13th, he texted Vincent and said, you know what, I want to get baptized. Vincent said, I'll be over in 10 minutes. And he came over here, and he came up out of that water, a new man. I, I remember when he came, he was rough around the edges. He, he told me after Welcome to Mountain that he was mad at me. I was like, oh, great, this went well. <laughs> Later, he came back and said, you know what, I was just mad at the church. He texted me recently, and he said this. My spiritual journey is the most important thing in my life after 58 years. It's more important than getting clean and sober. It's more important than rescuing labs and all the things and service I've done. I love Jesus so much, and I'm so excited for what he's done and what he has in store for me and through me. Jesus is somehow giving me a full and good life in him. I have depression. I have anxiety and type 1 diabetes for 45 years. I have stage 4 cirrhosis, and I'm struggling with my income, but I haven't touched alcohol in 28 years. And now I'm clean of heroin, too, and because of Jesus, I feel like I'm the luckiest man alive. Here's a picture. That's Tim. That's Tim. That's real change. 
He's, he's, got a me- he's got a message for you. Here's a, here's a short message from Tim. Go ahead and show it to him. Uh, I'm telling you, don't quit five minutes before the miracle happens. I'm telling you, don't quit five minutes before the miracle happens. That's called grit. You hang in. You hold on to that rope because pff, you're going to come up. And the reason he's sober and the reason he's following Christ and the reason he feels blessed today is because of how God used people to shape his decisions and his choices through good and godly friends. And the same is meant to be true in every one of our lives. What about you? I want to just invite you to close here today with kind of doing a friendship audit. Like a real honest sort of look inside your head and your heart about what's going on in your life right now. On the good and godly friend count. And I know this might be hard or awkward. And some of you, if you have that in place, you've worked at it and God's blessed you with it, awesome. Thank God and move forward and, and you be that encouraging factor and, and, and draw like Timothy and Paul could. But for the rest of us, I just want to say there's probably some breakthroughs in our life that could happen with more good and godly shaping influences in our life. So I'm not scolding or trying to shame anyone, but I'm just saying don't miss this opportunity because you're designed for finish line faith and you probably cannot take some of your next steps without some grit that you'll only find through good and godly friends. Perfect time for some of us to come off the spiritual couch and get in the game because every fall, we have this huge opportunity for people to connect with others in real relationships through groups we run at Mountain. So couple of, here's a couple of specifics. Campus groups kick off at every campus starting September 8th. You should sign up for that. You should totally just take a flyer and see what happens. Get plugged in. Some of you have been watching from the sidelines this time. Also, Rooted, you've been hearing about it for a while. If you've been around Mountain, a thousand people at Mountain have already gone through it. A huge, cool spiritual experience of, of working with some friends through some stuff. Um, that's happening September 27th. That's the kickoff for that. I don't know what your next step would be, but I know this. You're called for finish line faith, and you need grit for that. And one of the key ingredients, good and godly friends. Let's pray. God, we thank you for for Jesus and for how he has been a friend to us, our great source of help and strength. And yet we also know sometimes we just, like Paul, we just need a friend with skin on. And so help us, Lord, as we come out of our isolation and struggle with our insecurities and find ways to connect with other people in our busy lives to make a priority out of what you say is important.